Hello and welcome to Movies and Shit. And yes, you're not hearing incorrectly. We've been gone for quite some time, but we're back. And we wanted to try to strike while the iron was hot. And of course, I'm joined yeah. by my my best friend, my life mate, my everything, Max McCarty. Hey. Um, Max, today we're going to talk about Once Upon a Time in Hollywood because I saw it uh, the opening night and I was like, oh shit, I have feelings about this. And then I made you watch this last night. Uh, and so you're fresh. You're way fresher than I am. Like, I've actually been jonesing for a rewatch. So mm -hmm. I may have to vicariously through you uh, obtain that rewatch. Now, for anyone living under a rock, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood is the ninth film by Quentin Tarantino, as every advertisement has put it, because he's the only director that really needs you to know where he's at in his career. <laughs> like, right. you never hear the 30-second film by Spielberg. No. Well, I mean, as for as much mythologizing as he does for, like, you right. know, golden era of Hollywood, not just in this movie, but in every movie he's ever made, he's got to do that self-mythologizing, too. Right. Like, nonstop. He's like, who's going to write your Bible if not yourself, right? Like, that's the <laughs> truth about Tarantino. But, um, but yeah, so it's the ninth film by him. Uh, it's all-star cast. I mean, really, like, every facet of this movie has got some actors mm. on top of actors. So that's obviously exciting. Starring Le uh, Leonardo DiCaprio, Brad Pitt, uh, and Margot Robbie in the central roles. Although there's a little asterisk next to that last one. We'll get to that yeah. in a minute. <clears throat> I was really curious about this. And I, and I remember talking to you about it saying, this script fucking just existentially shook me. Uh, and I, I'm really curious to dive into that a little bit more with you. But I was saying is like, this was unlike any other Tarantino film I'd ever seen. Uh, not a perfect film at all, but something that I am more enamored by with each passing hour. So having said that, and I want to get into the details with all this, but I wanted to hear initial impressions from you before we kind of deep dive into what the story is about, the themes of the film, and how personal it may or may not be to Tarantino. So Max, well, what are your initial thoughts? Do you, when you say initial, do you mean me upon exiting the theater or me now? Right, because I would tell you this, me leaving the theater was not the same person that's talking to you now. Uh, yeah, I want to know I, if that's similar. Uh, I will say me exiting the theater, I felt nothing. I felt numb. I was trying to unpack. It felt like an, ins un like an unsolvable puzzle right. that I was like just constantly trying to unpack. I went to Manhattan, just took like a fucking two-hour walk, and I was like, okay, I need to sit with this. But long story short, um, I felt like all the things that I was supposed to be feeling while watching it, I wasn't feeling. It was really frustrating because I was like at war with myself for appreciating, you know, just the, the level of craft, just in like the driving scenes, how he like without CGI recreated 1969 Los Angeles, like to perfection, um, down to like every car, every backdrop. There's not an, in, an inch of that film that reads as 2019 or filmed in 2019. Like it's right. like he went back in time. Look, um, I saw fellowship I, of the ring and there's definitely like a fucking Ford Subaru that passes by <laughs> at some point in the back. So right. like if that broke the fucking fourth, uh, like the realism of it all, Tarantino somehow in a modern world doesn't fall sure. in that trap, you know? Yeah. No, like absolutely uh, seamless in that in that regard. Um, I loved moments of it too, like the scene at the Spawn Ranch um, was like wonderful. It reminded me of like the basement scene in Zodiac. Like this is like, oh shit, Quentin Tarantino could do horror, and he chooses not to. Um, <laughs> I thought it was a, maybe a career best from DiCaprio, which I didn't expect to say going into it, especially considering right. I, I like hold like Wolf of Wall Street on such like a high tier, like. I think this was like him playing an actual character where I stopped seeing DiCaprio so much. 
Um, right. No, I would totally agree with that. Uh, it's interesting that you also said Wolf of Wall Street because that's the analog that I pulled. But continue, yeah. and we'll d- d- dive deeper into this. I, I and like because I have so many scattered thoughts on this, and so forgive me if I'm like all over the fucking place. Like those are the things that I really appreciated and loved. Like I think that it's a his most subtle film. I think that it's sort of like a meandering. Uh, almost kind of hangout buddy movie in a really good way. Um, it's sort of like a fun, like exploration of just like a male friendship that you right. almost never really see, like where there's no real conflict between Brad Pitt and uh, DiCaprio. There's no jealousy. There's none of the trappings of that kind of story. He's not interested in that. Um, but alternately, like there were things that pissed me the fuck off, like the scene with Bruce Lee um <laughs> it's interesting although I, there's a debate about that scene in general and it's not about his portrayal although i do want to get to that as well but just the nature of that scene in general about right. where it's taking place and if it's in one pit place it's much more forgivable yeah. you know what i'm saying uh so i kind of want to do dive into that but i wanted to comment on something you said quickly which was like mm-hmm. I, I talk a lot of shit all the time about this guy as a director. Uh, I say that like he steals from better directors, and that's what good directors do, by the way. It's not like that's necessarily a bad thing, you know? Like, yeah. Not everyone can be the guy who reinvents the wheel. We can't all be the Lumiere brothers, but I felt Tarantino specifically was a guy that was so in love with the visual language of film history that he had never had to force himself to be a great director. He could always lean on his writing, which usually is really wonderful, uh, and the visual language of better directors. This was the first time, maybe since Kill Bill, where I was like, yo, this guy can fucking direct. Like, they're, like you're bringing up those driving scenes, which is so funny because that's the point of contention for so many reviews that I've read. Hmm. Like, God, why, why are we doing a horse scene that goes nowhere? Why are we driving around for 10 minutes? It's like, are you not seeing what I'm seeing? Like, that's like, those are the moments where I'm like, holy shit, this guy's kind of wonderful, man. Yeah. Uh, for, this, for the very reason that you said that it's not, it's not easy to recreate a time period when you're in the present, when there's no CGI, when it's all practical. I thought that was a really, really wonderful step for that guy. Um, and I guess at that point, maybe we should just kind of go into the film at large, right? Yeah. Well, I mean, I didn't get to bring up like the main point of contention for most people and Ooh. honestly myself when I first watched it, but I don't know if you want to get into that. Well, I'm assuming you're later. talking about the inclusion of a specific character. So before we get into that, let's let's set up the, let's do some- I'm talking about no? like the last third of the film. Sure, but but yeah, that yeah. but that's predicated on the inclusion of a character being there to begin with, which a lot of people took umbrage with. Mm-hmm. Um, so like, before we get into it, yes, this is a movie set in 1969, California, Los Angeles. Like the free love hippie movement is at its height, and anyone who knows the fucking end of that story would tell you that that came to a screeching halt. Right? That's something I guess I never really realized until doing some research. It's like. Yeah, that hippie free love shit. It's not like, you know, Nixon got the best of them. It's like (laughs) there were some fucking murders and we were like, all right, let's like, let's nip that shit in the bud. Right. Uh, So this is bad optics on that. Right. So like we're, 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 we're living in the shadow of the, of the Manson murders, which I think was the darkest time of that free love thing brought about a whole new darkest extension of like the free love hippie movement and and acid culture, drug culture in general, like, that was everybody's worst fears about that movement come to life. Right. Yeah. No, it yeah. was like one, uh, one bad apple ruins the whatever bullshit. Yeah, like, that sure. really <laughs> kind of nailed that. that was, like, some really bad apples. Yeah. 
so yeah, I mean, the whole premise of it is, is we're following the exploits of a actor who is a little bit past his prime. He's washed up. He's not old. He's just, you know, fallen out of favor. He's a has been in Hollywood and mm-hmm. this friendship at a necessity, but also a true friendship that he has with his stunt double named uh, Cliff Booth played by Brad Pitt. Uh, and so like the, the film is really following that guy's kind of trajectory of being like feeling dejected and feeling washed up. Um, desperation right like what's his next career move going to be people are imploring him to go to italy even though uh, they, they make fun of the spaghetti westerns at the time which i like because it's like again uh without sergio that's a bad genre of film we oh, got to yeah. be honest about that there is so much trash italian cinema like you guys have no idea unless you've looked into it holy shit uh, and I thought that that was like a wonderful little inside joke or whatever. Um, and then eventually he decides to go and he, and it's very lucrative for him. And then he comes back and now we are in the final days of that free love movement before we kind of get to the Manson murders. Um, simultaneously, we're kind of following his stunt doubles, you know, day to day. Stunt doubles a little bit glory, a little bit glorifying because he hasn't actually done stunt work in quite some time by the time we watch he's, this. Yeah, he's a, he's a gopher. He's like not, I'm not going to call him a manservant, but he basically just does chores and things. Well, there's that like part Dalton. where he's like, look, I appreciate it, but I'm your gopher, man. I ain't done stunts, <laughs> like, which I thought was really wonderful. And I want to say that quickly before we, uh, because we're pretty much done with the, the actual setup of it. Um, this washed up actor finds out that he's living next door to Roman Polanski and Sharon Tate, 1969. If you know your fucking history, the Tate murders happened. Uh, and it seems for a while, like that's where this story is going to ultimately, ultimately lead to, which the inclusion of the Sharon Tate character, I mean, she doesn't do anything. She's very, uh, ephemeral almost in this. Mm-hmm. Like, like she, she's always she's... framed in a certain way. You never see her feet touch the ground. Like it's very, uh, like geisty yeah. in a way, you know you what I mean? You see her feet though. For some Eventually, fucking of course, yeah, 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 yeah. Is that bothering I, you? Like, you're not used it, to it. Honestly, at this point? honestly, yet. Yeah. Well, this movie was like to another level. Like, we need uh, to at least mention. Yes, it, it fucking what? Like, there like were three so many scenes. Feet. There were three scenes. Like, it was fine. It was totally the entire fine. hippie commune. Everybody's feet are all up in the area, in the frame. Just feet everywhere. Feet against the windshield. And then in the one moment of characterization that we get for Margot Robbie's uh, Sharon Tate we just get her feet jutting into the frame. And it's like, oh, this is a nice emotional moment. And then, oh, feet. Quentin Tarantino's fetish. Cool. Maybe it's not a fetish. Maybe he just thinks that they're the most symmetrical thing in the world. <laughs> the most you know? symmetrical? Yeah, you put them together. They are like perfect little, like, you know, like my, like your hands. It may, maybe that's all he was saying, you know, and you mm. just can't appreciate it. That's all he's trying to get us to know is like, they're filmable. They're, they're, they're always <laughs> filmable. Uh, but, all right, so that's like the, the long and short of it. And there's some things I want to praise right off the bat, which is like, you said DiCaprio did something uh, on paper. Brad Pitt steals the show on paper. He's got the flashier role kind of like he gets to do more interesting things with it. Uh, but I think we've said for a while, like, you know, drama is relatively easy. Comedy is hard. And essentially like DiCaprio is playing a comedic role. Like, like in the way that, um, like like Dr. Steve Brule, right? Sorry, that's a really weird comparison, right? But like there are times where that guy is fucking like, or like when, when John C. Riley did Dewey Cox, it's yeah. like he's really crying. Like he's acting, he's doing all those things. Yeah, it's played yeah, for laughs. He's that doesn't taking a ridiculous character seriously. Yeah. Like, and that's that's how you play comedy, right? You treat it like it's drama. Um, uh, he kind of killed it, dude. I was, I was thinking yeah. about him the whole time, which is like, 
by the end of it, it's like you could sit there and be like, oh, he didn't really do anything flashy. Like, that's going to get a nomination. And then the next day, I was like, yeah, probably. Like, that deserves that for sure. Because it was, a, it was a level of that guy that I'd never seen. It's interesting that he hasn't done a film in four years. Uh, and this is, like, what he chose to come back to. And it's yeah. certainly not The Revenant. It's not him freezing his ass off. Like, like I never looked at DiCaprio <laughs> being like, this is really hard for him. You know what yeah. I mean? Like, instead, I was like, who's this guy on screen, which I love. Right. Yeah, he, he's believably, like, just this sort of, like, alcoholic. I, I was watching this this interview um, with Tarantino and him, and uh, Tarantino mentioned that, like, when creating that character, because DiCaprio was like, there isn't a whole lot on the page for me to play here they like eventually came to realize that, oh, DiCaprio is an undiagnosed bipolar um, person. He's like self-medicating with, with alcohol or whatever, which adds a new wrinkle to it. I thought that was interesting. Um, but yeah, like he, he, he makes this guy a, a believably pathetic, like with the stutter and the constant drinking and the self-hatred um, that never really manifests in a negative way to anyone but himself. Um, I, I thought he was an interesting character, yeah. Right. Well, I think you, you said something that's really interesting and indicative of all the Tarantino films, which is like, you can feel any way you want about this and we will investigate that. We will get to what that actually is. But it's, it's, it's nothing I've ever seen. We've seen these setups before. You mentioned it with the male friendship. There's going to be some like, I just watched Superbad again recently for no yeah. reason. And it's like- an act low point or whatever right well it's like all right well we have a conflict because we need to have conflict we have jealousy we have this we have that uh and we avoid those pitfalls completely in this uh yeah. dicaprio's alcoholism isn't like something that 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 horribly fucking yeah. uh ruins his relationship with a wife or his friends right. or his parents like it's only to him i haven't yeah, there, seen that really the, you know? there's there's no scene where he like turns on brad pitt and he's really drunk and he's like you're just riding my coattails or something right. like that like that never happens and Which, i expected it to going happen into that movie i was like movie, that's gonna happen yeah, yeah exactly for sure. but it never does they um, just remain consistent friends and and so like I think I think he did like a really fucking incredible job and I think Brad Pitt did a really wonderful job. Like I mean, I felt like he was having fun in a way he hasn't had fun since like Fight yeah. Club or something. Like Yeah, he was definitely bringing that laconic sort of uh Brad Pitt charm to it in right. a way that only Brad Pitt can do. I will say one weird thing about late career Brad Pitt. He's like constantly doing a southern accent now and I'm not sure where it's coming from. I'm not against it. Right. But like his past several performances he always has like a like the inglorious bastards kind of accent i mean that's a good role if you're gonna steal <laughs> like, you know like some people get stuck in a rut that's a good rut to be in guy well, like, it, it made me start questioning like is is brad pitt a southerner like did i misremember how isn't he, he from actually like talk kentucky or but some I, shit i mean i looked up an interview he talks like a not a kentuckian yeah that's Depp. Depp's from Kentucky. Uh, uh, he's not from he's not from the beach or anything. You know what I mean? Right. He wasn't he wasn't like a California beach bum or anything. But um, yeah, but he did a really good job. I mean, the truth is everyone did a really good job. Now we can kind of get into the story aspect and we can kind of investigate and interrogate how we feel about some of these things. Mm -hmm. And so, again, when I'm talking about I, I messaged you as you were getting on the train, like keep an open mind. I've never seen a Tarantino film like this. And I was trying to get people to understand like what I think Tarantino has been missing for the last several films, to be completely honest, which is stakes. <sighs> like, even though I really love the hateful eight, I do love hateful eight. Don't get me wrong. I think it's a wonderful, like it's a, the, the whole third act of that film is just like, I'm a detective. <laughs> like, you know what I yeah. mean? And it's like, I'm killing it. Uh, but the stakes feel very low on an interpersonal level because everyone is kind of an, an egregious person. 
I really don't like Django, so I don't give a fuck about those stakes, even though there's like clear. Yeah, um, can, can we agree that's his worst? Clearly. It, like Jackie Brown is really looking good compared to Django. I'm going to be honest. Some people man. say that's his best, and I need to rewatch it. But I love Jackie Brown. I've been a big defendant of it for a while now. Yeah. Um, but so. And, and like I loved Inglorious Bastards, and I think that that was the last one that had any stakes. But what I'm talking about is like, it, it's maybe it's like out of vogue to to keep referencing Pulp Fiction, but I go back to the final scene of Pulp Fiction where it's Jules who has had this transformative experience, right? Where yeah. where like you know the analog the, the the analog to it is like Vincent Vega saw the exact same thing. He saw two plus two, but it didn't equal four to him. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. But for Jules, it did. He had this fucking moment, and in this moment at the very end, he's at a crossroads to whether he is going to start walking the walk of this new life that he feels like he's been granted right or will he be drawn back into this thing you know the 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 souls of the righteous man are beset on all sides like they're like when he gets done with that fucking thing and and there's a there's a calm and he's like i've been saying that shit for years right mm-hmm. you felt it you're like fuck i feel the weight of that I haven't felt those stakes in a very long time and to be honest i felt like once upon a time in the hollywood had these isolated scenes where i'm like there that like where has that been from this guy because i know he can do it uh, i want to talk specifically about there's the scene where he's on set with the little girl the the, the actress you know what i'm mm-hmm. talking about that entire like it's a second act i guess you could say the movie dramatically slows down there but it's the most fascinating shit we get like the best dicaprio performance there because you see him literally struggling with the alcoholism you see him struggling with just being like a bipolar human being slightly not like oh i'm bipolar but like (laughs) making it subtly be there you know what i'm talking about and just also like the craft of writing the craft of performing like this thing that we all agree upon it's silly yeah we're in fucking makeup i'm wearing a hippie jacket and i got a handlebar mustache but like we're all agreeing to the lie and that gives it power you know what i mean and i thought like that fucking scene was kind of wonderful and like magnetic and it had a warmth that i have maybe not seen in a pulp uh, in a tarantino film since pulp fiction does that make sense yeah yeah, no, I mean, he definitely, well, like, I think Kill Bill had some moments, but, like, it was hampered by a terrible child actress. In this case, though, right. really good child actress. Um, very, very convincing, uh, well-written. It almost reminded me of, like, some Coen brothers shit in a weird way, uh, more than Tarantino up to a point. Because say what you will about Coen brothers, they got, they got heart mixed in with the, the dialogue. For sure. I mean, a lot of this movie felt Coheny, if we're being real, yeah. uh, which is not a bad thing. But what I'm saying is, like, the Coen brothers can't make a Tarantino film and, and vice versa. And I don't think any of us wants to see a Tarantino and like a, like a Coen inspired Tarantino film. That would be fucking weird. I just mean that like uh, they crossed wires for half a second. You know what I mean? There was like that the mm-hmm. perfect plotting on the on the line graph where they intersected for a second, and there were like yeah. definitely moments that felt similar. Um, but no, yeah, thought- it, it reminded me of like some some scenes from True Grit between uh, Haley Stanfield and uh, Stanfield, Stanfield, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. and uh, you know Jeff Bridges, um, dude. But I don't like. I'm looking at that scene too, and again, a lot of it's played for laughs. Like, you mind if I sit down here? And he's loud and he's spitting and like, uh, slapsticky mm-hmm. kind of humor. And then you get to this like the heart of something, and like, yeah. I get it. Like it, there's, there's something really inartistic about like reading something in a book or a script or a piece of work and then seeing yourself in it and then like reacting to that. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Cause that's basically what that scene does is just like DiCaprio realizing he's reading this thing about like, what was it? Like a, like a, like a cowboy, right? He's like at the end, it's, it's a like Bronco buster. 
Right. Uh, he hurts his hip. Now he can't bust Broncos as good as he used to. I that's oddly beautiful, man. Mm-hmm. Like, and 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 like, it would be bad in the hands of a lesser actor. Yeah, but uh, DiCaprio really fucking sells me on that. And and again, that whole Lancer detour, I think, is kind of where the movie worked the best. If I'm being completely honest, yeah, I almost yeah. just wanted to see that movie. Um, and there was like one thing that was distracting me a little bit is that like Tarantino was shooting the western, um, as Tarantino as opposed to as a like back then western like it was almost too well directed right my problem with it like it was distractingly well directed right for a, was that supposed to be a tv show yeah lancer's supposed to be a tv yeah, show yeah. yeah or is it, it bounty just, law bounty law yeah bounty law was like a 35 <laughs> anamorphic lens right? and shit I'm like wait 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 like, yeah yeah it was just like almost too gorgeous but that that was like a minor complaint but no um yeah. and dicaprio like really uh, and, and I guess like the whole point of that, if there is a thrust to that character, it's this actor who's always played himself. He's always had the same haircut. He's always like had the same outfits, more or less. Like you could always recognize it was Jack Dalton or Rick Dalton. Rick Dalton. Yeah. Rick Dalton. Um, and and now this dire- this director for the first time is asking him to uh, challenge himself and to you know have a different hairstyle and a mustache and hide inside of a role. I actually like that guy a lot. I thought yeah. I was going to hate him as a character, that like fucking like, weird Liberace when, Elvis when he, guy. When like, he pops in and he's got like a weird ascot or whatever and the big hair, but it, then he's like a, a decent director. Yeah, yeah. I really judged that book by the cover. And I was like, <laughs> I ain't buying it. Like it was, uh, it was weird. And then he ended up being great. Yeah. Um, and again, that whole like detour I thought was very, interesting and, and and yielded the best results from the subtlety i mean like because that's the thing with tarantino i think i said this on where's my burrito but i've never watched a tarantino movie where i'm like oh that's real life ever ever like all of yeah. this shit is so heightened and so like and and uh, partly because it's always within a genre and those genres have these tropes that you kind of subvert or live up to sure i get that but other than jackie brown maybe or maybe reservoir dogs maybe okay uh and to be honest i saw i was watching the preview of that recently i'm like this is pretty heightened too isn't it like yeah very stylized um like i i've I've just always felt that everything felt like too big and too cartoonish to actually be you know like oh that's a real movie you know what i mean this was the first time in maybe 20 years where i'm like okay like i get what this guy's doing um his direction was the best maybe it's ever been because I felt like it was him having visual language instead of taking from other people. Well, I, I, I think he's a lot of people. I, I think he's also doing something um, very personal to him. I mean, he's making a film about making films, at least for that stretch of the film where they're making Lancer. It's like, you're actually seeing Tarantino direct something that he's personally done. Right. If that makes sense. Like he's never been a, a cowboy outlaw. He's never been in world war two but he has directed films and he's seen actors have breakdowns, I'm sure. And he's had to coach people through things. Um, So yeah, like I I think that for some reason that kind of rang a little bit more true. This is the first time I've seen Tarantino do something that's like overtly personal. He's not walking on the edge of like, Oh, this is kind of a commentary on how I feel about film or a commentary on how I feel about film history. This is like something he's done. And like for DiCaprio too, I'm sure that was a lot for him to sink his teeth into. Because what actor hasn't had a moment where like they completely break down or right. can't remember a line or get pissed at themselves or hate themselves? I would tell you right off the bat that the DiCaprio acting in that, like, because we've reached the age where this guy, I've said this a lot. It's like De Niro, I think, was like 40 
or 39 when Taxi Driver happened. Mm-hmm. Like, he was not a young man by the traditional sense of, like, when you're supposed to break big, right? Um, DiCaprio's been around since he was, like, 14 or 13, maybe even before yeah. that. And he's had, like, periods in his career where he didn't work, but that was out of choice. Like, out of, like, he could take a fucking break. He could do whatever he wanted. He's right. never been on that backslide. And I thought it was such an interesting thing where I'm like, you're 44 now, guy. Like, you are looking at this as a reality. You know what I mean? And, like... <laughs> Really, I, I like, I don't know. I saw DiCaprio like for a second, like make the choice, not even the choice, come to the realization that like maybe he's not playing a role so much as like uh, preparing himself for a future where maybe he's not DiCaprio anymore. You know what I mean? Right. Uh, and because of that fear, it gave us like a performance that I think is going to be like, oh, you're going to be DiCaprio for a while, guy. I don't think you're going anywhere. You know? If you yeah. Do I, don't, this stuff. I, I think he's got a long career ahead of him. Um, I, I wonder if the role, it's been brought up before, but I wonder if the role, almost as great as he is would have been more interesting if it had been played by washed up actor. Like if it would have brought an even more like higher stakes meta kind of commentary. To Tarantino it. revives Travolta's like career again. <laughs> He's like, come on back. But I like that too, because Brad Pitt would still be the stunt double for John Travolta and like fat John Travolta, not good looking fucking Saturday night. They look fever. Nothing alike. It's my stunt double. Can't you tell? No. <laughs> I know these are 50s cameras, but, yeah. like, anyone can tell this. That uh, would be a different film. <laughs> I rescind that pitch. Um, yeah, no, I mean, I think that, that that's true. It would be interesting. But I still think, like, the, the whatever the, the fear in the air was for that, I think he was able to hang on to it. Now, the other weird part of the story is, you know, while Rick Dalton's doing his thing, his now out-of-work stunt double is – just kind of fucking around being a gopher fixing antennas blah 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 blah. but he keeps running into uh, basically the manson clan right like these hippie girls these free love people Mm -hmm. and then they keep crossing paths and eventually he ends up going to the spawn ranch which is like a very famous uh western ranch that it's now a national park but back in the day they used it to shoot films and stuff like that um which that scene again you you mentioned zodiac earlier i kind of want to touch on that because Mm -hmm. You're right. Like, what? What's the scene in the basement of Zodiac? Like, I mean, that's the best scene of the whole fucking movie. Uh, but specifically, it's the best scene because you're like, we know they didn't catch this guy, and we right. know that the guy who's in the basement didn't get killed because he wrote the book. Right. But I'm like, this motherfucker's gonna get killed. There's yeah. like no way you he gets out of this. All of that for a second. Um, yeah. And and just the dread of these people being in doorways and in windows yeah. barely lit, like just the silhouette of them, and just and like, like the creaking of metal and the gusts of wind, and no music for most of it until right. he's inside that like disgusting house with the rat. That's <sighs> like that was a great detail. Yeah. yeah, I saw that and I was like, Max is gonna love it. <laughs> like I don't know why. <laughs> yeah, um, and the like just the TV blaring and Dakota Fanning's in there for some reason. Dude, gonna be honest, didn't know it was her until like today. I looked it up and I'm like, Dakota Fanning's in this fucking movie? What is she doing? And then it yeah. was like, oh, oh, she's squeaky. All right, well, she's squeaky from. That's tried cute. to kill Gerald Ford. Uh, really? Yeah. Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah, she like pulled a gun on Gerald Ford. It did not go off. Nineteen seventy-five, something like that. Yeah. Could have gone down as a here. I'm joking. You should kill <laughs> Gerald Ford. Like, uh, <laughs> no, and oh, rats too. Because uh, Bruce Dern uh, originally the role was supposed to be for Burt Reynolds, which would have added a weird layer to it. I really think it would have mm. to see Burt Reynolds like do anything. Burt Reynolds is a decent <laughs> actor. No, he really. Is. I mean, like he's yeah. A, no, I mean he's amazing in, in like Boogie Nights. But yeah. then he also said he regrets ever taking that role, which makes me question his um, 
his brain sanity <laughs> lucidity uh, he was sundowning for the last 20 years of his career man he he, he wasn't he mad was, about the longest yard remake with adam sandler he was sundowning him. upwards as they say uh um, yeah no but i thought that was a really interesting thing and also i love bruce Dern, and even if it's like one role or one scene i thought that was great but again this is like where brad pitt is earning his acclaim in this movie to me because yeah like he's doing this like not lebowski thing but like surfer bro kind of thing throughout the film you know for the most part um and i thought in that scene we got to see like oh the honor among thieves thing remember like i was kind of talking about the actors on set like yeah this is bullshit and we're playing make-believe but we all believe in it and our belief Mm -hmm. gives it power and like, no matter what, uh, we, we used to shoot cowboy films together. You know, there was like that honor there that like, even if he hasn't talked to George Spahn in eight, nine years, he still wanted to make sure he was okay. You know, like he didn't want someone that he respected who, who contributed to the, thing, to the craft, the industry that he loved so much to be taken advantage of, which I thought was like, again, it's a subtle thing, but it's very fucking sweet and sentimental in a way that I'm like, this guy doesn't do that ordinarily. Uh, right. That's why it's, it really stood out to me. Yeah. Yeah, no, I, I really enjoyed that little detail. Um, I enjoyed that uh, for most of that, like just how long that scene was, um, right. that most directors wouldn't dare to include a scene that was that slowly paced or make a movie this slowly paced. And I never really minded the pacing. Um, right. No, like not at it, all. Uh, the driving scenes, that scene, um, any long stretch of this film, like I feel like it really does serve to just like allow you to luxuriate in this other universe. You know, because he's kind of presenting this as a wish fulfillment fairy tale up to a point. It's an ode to this bygone era of not only Hollywood, but also I think like a lost kind of masculinity or like a idealized masculinity uh, that, you know, like like I feel like uh, Rick Dalton and Brad Pitt are these two guys that are of another era and they're watching, you know, America move on from the type of men that they are. But they get like one last shot they get one last kind of moment or maybe right. like a little bit of hope at the end of the tunnel, which is, well, sort of nice. which is something we gotta, gotta get into. But well, I, I think the, the, the feeling of hope is the weird prevailing thing throughout this, even though again, the inclusion of Sharon Tate as a character would suggest to you that like, you know, the magic trick of that, even though it's not a magic trick, is just like Sharon Tate's in this. All right. Well, we know where that ends. We know this yeah. the, sh- the shark that's beneath the surface of the water. We know that's lurking Makes the it entire time. Feel like a haunted movie up to a point, right? But like it's a, a film occupied by ghosts and menace and inevitability, but then it right. doesn't go where you think it's going to go. Well, and before we get to that third act, can I just ask about some of the inclusion of other Hollywood people like Steve McQueen's in this movie for some reason? That was a uh, really weird portrayal of Steve McQueen, by the way. Yeah, um, like Damian Lewis. putting <laughs> not well done. I didn't know that he was Steve McQueen until after the movie. Because that, that, was... that wig he was wearing was like real weird. <laughs> I don't know. It uh, didn't fully buy it, but he was there for one scene. Right. Like, and that's what I can get away. By the way, can I just talk shit about somebody was like, look, if you want to watch dudes drive around while they jerk off a guy who raped a 13 year old, go for it. Okay. Um, Can we just like admit that Polanski is barely a fucking character in this movie? Like at 
all. Like, like right. he's in the scene for two, he's in the movie for two scenes and he's never in focus for either of those scenes. And I don't think you hear him say like two words. He, get, the whole he gets film. one in focus shot. That was hilarious. He like walks out after a party. He's hung over, pours himself a coffee. The dog <laughs> runs up to him barking and he's like, get the fuck out of here. Right. The dog like That's runs it. back to him. I totally oh, forgot. Okay, so yeah. he's in there for three scenes. <laughs> One is in focus, and he says like like half a word. But people are like harping on like, oh, Polanski. And I'm like, look, Chinatown, man. That's all I got to say. I ain't defending Chinatown. this guy. I'd punch him in the goddamn face if I saw him, but Chinatown's Rosemary's fire. Rosemary's Bubby. Yeah, well, those are the two I kept saying. Rosemary's Bubby. <laughs> it's a sequel. It's <laughs> a sequel. <laughs> Rosemary's grandma's her, her grandma is a devil the whole time, too. That's hereditary. That's like yeah. probably where it started. It runs um, in the family. That'd be the tagline. That would be great. Uh, we should make would that it, movie. It, yeah, no, we shouldn't. Everyone's still alive, right? <laughs> yeah, Pharaoh looks roughly the same. Uh, yeah. So, so like the Polanski of it all is like such a bullshit non-argument. Like I hate that people are like, "Oh, I'm discounting it because someone's mentioned." It's like you can't have I mean, Tate without you, Polanski. Yeah, like, you literally have to acknowledge that he exists. If you're going to tell a story concerning Sharon Tate. Well, how did you feel yeah. about the, the Bruce Lee thing? Cause I read this thing today that his daughter was like, I don't like how my father was portrayed. And I'm like, do you think uh, it's like Damian Lewis playing Steve McQueen? <laughs> like, no, Yeah, but, but like they, they didn't besmirch Steve McQueen's like character as a human being. It'll, I, I, I don't know. Like here, here's the thing. And I'm probably taking this too personally because for me growing up, I never gave a shit about sports, but if I did have like a childhood hero, one of them would definitely be Bruce Lee. Um, but is that and, because of the films or because of who he was? Because like Enter the Dragon was like the shit when we were kids, even though it was 25 years old then, you know what I mean? Like It was because of both. Um, like the, the guy like was, he practically invented a precursor to MMA. Um, he did a lot of fucking amazing things. Uh, and his films were like, pretty next level for what they were um i don't know like bruce lee's a really interesting dude by all accounts arrogant hard to work with but just the idea of like brad pitt like beating the shit out of him um just felt like uh, a weird i don't know how did you feel about it well that's the whole debate which i don't jive with the alternative answer which is like none of that's happening no, yeah, that I it, feel like it definitely totally happened. It's a flashback. It's him, yeah. yeah, but it's everyone, him remembering why he doesn't get work. As everyone was trying to convince me otherwise. They're like, bro, it's just like it's a heightened thing. It's in his mind. Of course, he right. thinks he can beat Bruce Lee, and I'm like, I mean, that makes sense on the micro level, but it stops making sense on the macro level, which is what the whole fucking film is supposed to be, right? Yeah. Um, I didn't really care about it, dude. Again, because like we're living, we're like. If we're going to be okay with the subversion of the Sharon Tate of it all, which we're getting to here in a second, why are we surprised I mean, by any changes at that, that point? That's assuming I am okay with that, which I I'm don't fine know with I am, it. If yeah, I'm being like, really I, honest. I, I, well, see, um, I'm interested to, to debate this with you because, because, again, it's like if you include her, you're including her for a reason. You included yeah. her to give us that sense of dread. We know where this is going to end. We know the the shark that's that's coming up, like the Jaws poster, right? Mm -hmm. Like Sharon Tate's just chilling there and the fucking Jaws is coming up to get her, right? Like that's the mentality of it. So you have her there solely to subvert the fucking expectation and have your like revisionist history like you did with Inglorious Bastards, right? Like, sure. so I understand the inclusion of Sharon Tate for that matter. Um, I've also heard him say in an interview that like, he wanted to give her this other presence, right? Mm -hmm. Like there's a reason she's not as fully developed or any of these other things is because I think that would actually be 
pretty disrespectful too. Like to to to. I mean, unless you're gonna do like a proper biopic about her, and that's not what the point of the film was. Um, yeah. He wanted to kind of give her this otherworldly well, presence, like she was she was there. I think he called her an angel or some shit. I don't remember exactly what he said, but yeah, fair. He's doing like the whole Madonna horror dichotomy thing. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah which is I definitely got that. I'm of a couple minds on it, and like again, like I just saw this, so I'm still like unpacking it. But getting back to Bruce Lee, I think that my main issue there is that he made someone who I respect the butt of a joke and who a lot of people respect. And that, that was sort of the point is like he turned Bruce Lee, who like is like a very influential fucking figure in both film and martial arts into the butt of a joke for one scene to establish. Because what is the point of that scene? It establishes, number one, why Brad Pitt does not work in stunts anymore. And number two, that Brad Pitt can handle himself. I just can't imagine that there wouldn't be another better way to get that message across yeah i don't know it de- it doesn't fuck with me in the same way just because again it's like i mean and then this is this, i think the crux of it is whether you're okay with the sharon tate of it all because if you have some issues with it then i could totally understand why you would then have issues with any kind of liberties taken with any well, celebrity that's being I, I i don't know if that's like 100 percent like a great equivalency to make because like sharon tate is not presented in a way that sullies her legacy in any way right you know? No, but, but what I'm saying is like, sure, and I understand that, but we're already changing what happened. Mm-hmm. Like at that point, it's like everything's like, we shot Hitler in the fucking face and it is my favorite part of that whole movie, by the way. But like at that point, would you be mad if like Stalin did something that was anachronistic to the time or, or you know what I mean? Like, even though that's not the same parallel, it's like you've already... You've as already... long as Stalin remains true to who he is, do whatever you want with Stalin. As long as Hitler remains true to who Hitler was, do whatever you want with Hitler. I mean, we but made like, Hitler... They, the they have to joke. remain... Yeah, yeah, yeah. They have to but remain the same themselves. Okay. human being. But yeah. how do we not know that that's how Bruce Lee was? Just because it was like the butt of a joke. Like, mm-hmm. I'm, not, I'm not trying to fight against this. I never met Bruce Lee, sadly. <laughs> well, well the, the, the premise of this, I, I don't want to spend the whole discussion getting into the Bruce Lee thing, but like the premise of the scene is that Bruce Lee is arrogantly boasting that he could beat Muhammad Ali, even though historically he said Muhammad Ali, like he would stand no chance against Muhammad Ali. Right. Um, it like is him saying that then Brad Pitt saying like you've never been in a real fight and then like okay let's have a friendly wager I'm gonna kick your ass and then like it just turns into oh no like the the stuntman kicks his ass so if it wasn't Bruce Lee you're fine with that entire scene uh, as it's written I'm I'm fine with a scene that establishes like Brad Pitt's character being able to handle himself and also okay. being uh, kind of thrust into situations or being a bit of a hothead um, who's capable of violence. Which we should also bring up the wife of it all. <sighs> okay, <laughs> that's that's another one of these things where I'm just like uh, the audacity of Tarantino to even like write this in a script, have a cutaway scene, and then never ever address yeah. it again i, I mean is that it supposed to be like a natalie wood reference does it work like what does it tell us about brad pitt it doesn't tell us much about brad pitt what i'm saying is it works within the flow of that story which you like any other story you need to ex- expand on that like yeah. you know what i mean there's no expansion like there's mm-hmm. never a moment like really if anything they kind of confirm yeah he did it but maybe she deserved it like which is a fucked up thing she clearly <laughs> didn't deserve it max don't look at me like that but that's what i'm saying like the audacity to have that scene and then to never bring it up. I was expecting yeah. a drunk scene later on where they bring it up. They talk about it briefly. They allude to it. Like yeah. I, I was, I was, I was wondering if they would have Rick deal with it again later on in the film. Mm-hmm. It never comes back. Uh, and it's, it's, it's an interesting detail. <laughs> is what I'll say. <laughs> like, yeah. 
Is it supposed to make him? Well, I'm just wondering why did he include the detail? Like, like you're Tarantino. Why, why that scene? What is, what is it there for? Yeah, but see, I think, uh, I think, uh, I think that's the difference between this film and any other film he's done. Where I feel like there, I mean, even though this movie is chock full of setup and payoffs, like that's the entire third act of the film as a setup mm-hmm. and payoff. But um, I feel like he was less consumed by that in the way that he had been in other things. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like he was literally just trying to give you another shade of something <laughs> that hopefully provides a little bit more context, gives you more of a rugged definition of what you're looking at, but is not yeah. going to give you the answer. You know what I mean? Like that's kind of how I looked at it. I thought it was such a weird, like I remember it being in the theater and watching, I was three vodkas in, but being like, that's weird. That's yeah. really weird, man. Like, Well, it, it, it fit in line with like the weird editing structure or style of the movie where it almost did like i'm not gonna i'm not saying this in a reductive way it's gonna sound like i am but like family guy style like flashbacks like somebody will bring something up and then it'll like do a jarring cut to like him in the great escape or brad pitt kind of maybe murdering his wife or right. to like it just it felt more like uh kiss kiss bang bang to me like and and that like we're gonna stop here's a voiceover <laughs> like you know what i mean and then kind of expand on some shit yeah i mean it fit in that in that regard and that's what i'm and this is kind of my larger point before we uh, barrel towards the third act it's like uh when you watch a tarantino movie you're just not it's not going to be anything you've ever seen before and mm-hmm. that's kind of my point it was like i got so angry because i'm like you can't just come into the third act and reset you can't just bring a guy on to narrate like, so this is what we've been up to for the last six months. Let me set the table for you. And he's been doing that for like the last two movies now. Like he doesn't give a fuck about a convention. He doesn't give a fuck about structure or like what you're supposed like in, to do. Like in Inglorious Bastards when I think it's Samuel L. Jackson does one scene of narration like an hour and 10 minutes into the movie and then vanishes. <laughs> Well, he's in it in the very beginning. He's in it for the uh, the Hugo Stiglitz scene, right? And then does he come back for a second scene? Uh, I, I just mean in that one scene. Isn't that like a little bit into the movie though? It's the second chapter. It's after the Jew Hunter introduction. To be fair, the like every scene in that movie is like 45 minutes long. That's a weird movie. Right. He was writing in chunks like that. But if you're being honest about this, even though it's subdivided into scenes, like this, it's, it's him in the beginning being sad. It's yeah. him on a Western. It's him after he's been to Italy. Like it's not like there's a lot going on in there. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Which is what I found really interesting, uh, like fascinating about it. Um, yeah, dude, I, I was kind of freaked out by the idea that it just doesn't matter. Like, and I love the fact that we were talking about this yesterday on, on Where's My Burrito. It's he's a guy who's been in the studio system. He's not some indie darling who gets $2 million and makes magic out of those $2 million. It's like he is probably the most singular. I don't give a fuck. I will not uh, bend my vision at all other than the Coen brothers who are just constantly getting studio money to do something. Um, and it's like now you would never teach kids like this is what I get worried about because there's like somebody like all the film students now like suck that dude's dick like film school to 18 year olds they think it's Tarantino and that really scares the shit out of me from a directing standpoint although again so much love for the direction in this film Um, yeah a lot of good crane shots and helicopter shots in this movie I can I just geek out a one shot in particular where they first leave Dalton's place and Mm. it's the the shot of the eye outside in the windshield and we like leave and we do the long tracking shot and at the end Mm -hmm. of the day we come back and we long shot back into that exact framing and I'm like yeah pretty fucking good guy (laughs) like that that that, my my movie making boner happened real hard there (laughs) Uh, but but that you know so my point is like I'm, are you not a little bit enamored by that? Just by the fact that, like, yeah, he doesn't care. 
He just doesn't care. He doesn't have to do the things that other people have to do. If you were teaching a screenwriting class now, you would never tell people to do the shit that he can do. And that's right. kind of what blew me away by it. Well, on top of being the most personal thing I think he's made maybe ever, despite it having stakes that I haven't felt since Inglorious Bastards, and even that is so heightened that you it's hard to be like, oh, there's stakes because you're like, this is basically a comic book. Like, that's how I view it. You know what I mean? Uh, it, 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 you would never, ever tell people to do what he's done here. And he does it not only like well, but with fucking style. You know what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. Like, I don't know. That, that's the thing that really got me when I was watching this movie. I was like, I'm talentless because I could never, I would never have the bravery nor should I like that's the the weird dichotomy right like this is the guy who's breaking the rules but then succeeding anyway and you're just like that's the exception that's not the rule like no one else follow this fucking asshole everyone else who does this you'll die it's like Odysseus fucking shooting the the, the arrow through the rings or whatever to, to win back Penelope at the end it's like it's a one in a million shot guy you can't pull that off mm -hmm. yeah I mean it's uh it's he's a singular director for sure. Um, I think he's a very right place at the right time kind of director. Uh, nobody else is getting $90 million to do whatever the fuck they want. Um, no other director, like if another director came along with this script, um, it would not get produced or at least it would not get produced as $90 million from yeah. Tarantino. Yeah. And they would have changed the ending and they would have changed this and cut like 40 minutes out of it or whatever. But because he's Tarantino, he gets to make these things. And that is a special thing. That's what makes it an, an event. I think also we're just living in the time of sequels and, and, and I'm, and you know how much I love comic books. I'm not trying to be that guy, but I think I told you like I'm, I'm tapped. I'm just, I haven't even watched the new, the last Spider-Man movie. I just don't care because mm. we're seeing the same thing over and over and over again. Well, like it, that's what got me mad too about people who would like talk shit about like, I don't care that he's referencing something from movie history. And I'm like, yeah, but when Iron Man makes a fucking remark about something, everyone comes on themselves. Like, you know what I mean? Like, it's just very, it's, it's, it's weird to me that a guy who's doing something that's actually Actually real and is calling back to actual profound art as opposed to the mythology of a comic book like uh, it's looked down upon you know it's like this guy is one of the few people doing something outside of what hollywood is now yeah yeah no i mean like, like getting back to the superhero thing i think what bothers me more about marvel movies isn't that they're bad in and of themselves it's just that they feel like such a voiceless product and it's also that 80 percent of the culture or pop culture that we consume or that we have available to us is superhero related right. like even down to tv like you were asking me if i'd watched the boys recently and i was like no and and honestly as great as it might be i just don't want to i don't want to engage with another superhero comic book property i can't right. do it so so yes it's very special that we're getting an original film from a director like a singular director with a voice um it doesn't happen very often on this scale. Um, I'm like grateful that I got to see it. I'm grateful <laughs> I got to see it in 35 millimeter. Right. All right. Uh, so I wasn't, I wasn't thrilled about it. Like before I went in to see it, um, I wasn't excited for it. Tarantino as a person is exhausting to me. I watch an interview with him and it makes me like think like, ah, this guy's not that great. And then I'll watch a movie of his and I'll be like, Oh, maybe he is. It's the shame thing that we talked about. He just has none of it. So he's yeah. totally able to make these films. I, I tell you all the time that the thing I love the most is like on the pop, uh, the Pulp Fiction commentary or whatever. Mm. He's like, and I didn't make a director's cut. Okay. Because I made the movie I wanted to make the first time. And he like takes a minute. And like, so everyone there could be like, oh, 
<laughs> right. <laughs> like your, your medal's in the mail. <laughs> like, the, what do you yeah. want here, you piece of shit? Uh, so, I mean, yeah, he's just, he's, he's this next level fucking narcissist. But you know, let's barrel towards the end here, which is uh, our character Rick Dalton, after finding a little bit uh, or, or taking the advice of, of an agent, right? He goes to Italy, makes a couple spaghetti westerns. It's very profitable for him. Uh, but when he comes back to LA, he doesn't know if those roles are going to be there. He has a new wife. Uh, yeah, he's not going to be able to keep his, his long friend, his stunt double Cliff Booth. And they kind of agree to that on the plane back. And then they plan to have one last night of like hardcore drinking. Okay. Yeah. Um, kind of adorable. That's like, what that's literally what we would do. <laughs> like that's, mm-hmm. the, I think I really uh, love this movie because it reminded me of my relationship with you, which is like, yeah, there's no, like there's, n- never has that been a problem with us. Like we'll get right. snippy or something about something else. We'll get annoyed with each other, but it's always like, we're fine. Uh, and so that relationship I like loved watching and I was like, yeah, it's, that's a brother thing. Like those guys love each other. Exactly. They're repressed. It's the sixties. They can't tell each <laughs> other, but they know how they feel. Uh, and I thought that was sweet. So, on this big bender, they go out drinking and everything's great and, and they're having such a good time. They go back to the back to Rick Dalton's house on Cielo Drive. And yeah. uh, and, and the, we should note that Kurt Russell, meanwhile, is narrating like a crime documentary narrator, like eight ten PM. They arrive at right. Los Ciento <laughs> restaurant or whatever the fuck. And, like they get a burrito yeah, the, and at the, the same crime, time, uh, yeah, uh, Chirons or whatever, right? It's like feeling like, overheated in a very pregnant sort of way. All the right. discomforts that are associated with that. And it's like, oh, fuck, okay. Right. We're really barreling towards the whole... Well, that's uh, what I told you. Like, the fact that, like, the third act, he's like, all right, how do we get, how do we get here? And he's like, fuck it, let's just... Uh, Kurt, <laughs> come on in. <laughs> like, Kurt, Kurt was just lying around fucking, like, La Ciotica Boulevard. He was like, all right, Kurt, I'm in. I need you to establish a timeline. <laughs> and he does it. And it's, like, four full minutes of the movie where he's just yeah. narrating, setting the table. And I'm like, bold bold move i wouldn't have done it but you did it and it's great Folger also smoking a joint <laughs> like we didn't need it but we got it and it also like made me think that like they established that almost everybody except for pregnant uh sharon tate were like just smoking weed blazed that night. yeah just blazed as fuck and i'm like oh man that makes it that much worse it's way they scarier were, like, really high and they had to go through that uh, so uh, so at this point, they've decided to go back to Rick Dalton's house. They're going to indulge in some more drinking. Uh, but what's going on? He's making like frozen margaritas or shit. And then at the yeah. same time, like, isn't DiCaprio in the pool, like doing lines or something? Not, like, well, what, not lines of cocaine, lines of a script. Or he's, he's listening to music rather, right? Yeah, well, wait, wait. Isn't, uh, doesn't DiCaprio um, make the frozen margaritas and Brad Pitt smokes the acid dipped cigarette and decides to take his dog for a walk? Right, and then like he gets back. I think DiCaprio's in the pool listening to music or his lines or something on headphones while Brad Pitt is like starting to trip out and trying to feed his dog. <laughs> okay, can I just so this is where I actually kind of like this in a stupid absurdism sort of way, which is to say that like again the the inclusion to Sharon Tate is to give us the sense of dread that we know where the story is going to end up. Mm-hmm. We have them walk up the fucking like the, the, with knives and shit and we get uma thurman's kid for a second good for her yeah. but she's doing stuff all right yeah. uh and she dips out which is cute and kind of funny whatever uh and and then they keep going 
well, this actually before this, they drive up to the fucking thing and they're like right. making noise. And, the car and is DiCaprio loud. is like drunk and really pissed off that these hippies are making noise on his private street. This is why I actually really loved this because it's like, we know the history. We know what's going to happen. Their fates in a way, because we know what they are, they're mm. sealed. We know what has to happen. The entirety of their fate is forever changed because a drunk asshole came out there and was like, get off my lawn, you fucking hippies, basically. Okay. And, and like, that's Pop it in reverse, numb nuts. You know, fuck this guy. Uh, and then she's got her whole TV taught me to kill, which made sense to me. Maybe yeah. I'm fucked up, but I'm like, I get it. Like you got to kill that motherfucker. Dick this man. <laughs> so let's they, teach violence to the people who taught us violence. So, so like, the, the, we're barreling towards the end. We know that Sharon Tate should be the person who's about to be fucking killed here. Uh, and instead, their fate, her fate, his fate, all irrevocably fucking changed and altered by just some drunk asshole being entitled. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And so, like, that happens, and, he, and then he thinks nothing of it. He goes to the pool, and then Brad Pitt's there, smokes that. He's like, I remember you. Another weird jump cut to a flashback, and we see that it's an acid-laced cigarette, and he smokes it. And again, this is like where it gets nuts. And if, if you'd been paying attention and we watched Inglorious Bastards, it's like, why did none of us see the swerve coming? Because this is the guy who literally shot Hitler in the face. Well, honestly, I was kind of running through my head like I knew that it was controversial for some reason, the movie going into it. Right. I knew that people were upset about it. And I was like barreling towards that finish line. And I was asking myself, well, what could Tarantino do that would be surprising? So either like, like why include Brad Pitt and DiCaprio as the neighbors of Tate if they're not going to be involved with that in any way? And right. how are they going to be involved? Either they're going to intervene or they're going to do something or they're going to get killed or one of them's going to get killed um, or he's going to change everything entirely, Right. which he totally does. I'm not saying I totally called that. I was just like running through every scenario. And I was like, he might do it. Well, what I'm saying is like, there was, yeah, there was precedent and we kind of should have seen it coming. And I think for the most part, no one saw it coming because we didn't want to, you know, like we figured we did the math in our head and we're just like, well, this is where that story has to go. Like it was almost like that, that, that story is so fucking removed. Like she never talks to him until the last 30 seconds of the movie. You know what I mean? Sharon Tate. So it almost felt like that was just, backdrop for you and they could have done that in a number of ways you think you could have done it with like newscasts on the tv or whatever you know but they chose to use a character as this backdrop a character whose end we know was coming um and it felt like all right well that we didn't want to see that like there's no way Tarantino's gonna fucking kill sharon tate like he ain't gonna show it to us like i know he's a shock jock of a director but like i couldn't imagine he was actually going to murder sharon tate on screen and yet at no point up until the very like maybe a minute before it happened uh, I was like, yeah, so this is not going to happen. This guy's going to follow history. You know what I mean? I, I mm-hmm. thought it was another like nice little subversion of it. And the, and the problem is like, again, I'm kind of into it in the way that like, well, we shot Hitler in the face. Now that didn't happen. And maybe suggesting that it did happen is somehow disrespectful and like, you know, in, in poor taste. But again, it's I've rewinded it and I watch it in slow-mo. It's my favorite scene of Inglorious Bastards. Like, I don't give a fuck. It's amazing. Um, it, it's very similar. Like, I don't think that this was disrespectful at all, but it definitely like firmly takes you into a different universe. Like we are in the alternative world at this point where the, 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 the Manson family decide that they're going to try to kill Rick Dalton. They're going right. to kill Rick Dalton and everyone in that house and hilarity kind of ensues, man. It just becomes this weird 15 minutes of almost three stooges esque 
slapsticky, but like if Three Stooges were on meth. Well, it almost turns into a, a Rick Dalton picture. Like the filmmaking style completely changes or to a classic Tarantino uh, comedy violence movie um, where like the Manson murderers are just completely comically inept and it's just grisly cartoonish over the top violence, which like up until that point, the movie had been like his most grounded maybe since Jackie Brown, Jackie Brown town. Um, so I don't, I don't know how I feel about like just the juxtaposition of those tones. Um, because I understand that this is meant to be like a fairy tale. Like it's right. meant to be like once sort of like a, it's a once upon a time and it ends with a very fairy tale ending and a very fairy tale kind of shot. And I got the emotional resonance of that. Um, but like just in terms of tone, and I'm not saying that we should respect or mythologize the people who murdered Sharon Tate at all. Um, but I am saying that like, it, it just felt a little bit strange, mm-hmm. like for like the movie that I was watching up until that point, didn't feel, it didn't feel like the same thing anymore. Felt like it was right. a no, parody it was, of Tarantino. I think it was certainly a severe right term, but I don't think parody is accurate. Just like, oh, so we've entered this world now. Um, because a lot of the violence and even reactions like were reminiscent of other Tarantino performances uh, or other actors performance in Tarantino films rather. Um, when the one lady gets hit in the fucking face with like the dog food or whatever the fuck, and she's just like, fl- it reminded me of Daryl Hannah in Kill Bill 2 when she gets her eye taken out and she's just like losing her shit in the trailer. Um, it just, it felt very inglorious bastardy there beyond just the, 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 the weird alternate timeline shit, you know, like it just felt very cartoonish. Yeah. Um, well, I, I mean, also it just, I don't know you might take me to task for this. And again, I'm still processing it, but it didn't feel like it was a natural extension or conclusion of Brad Pitt's arc. It was kind of of DiCaprio's in that he, he got into the, you know, into the gate and the gates opened up for him or whatever at the end. Well, can I tell you my favorite joke of that movie is he's one barbecue away from being in yeah. Polanski's next movie. And right. And then he barbecues, barbecues the uh, shit. <laughs> I burnt uh, the- <laughs> Sharon Atkins or whatever. It yeah. Is. I burnt her ass to a crisp. I mean, that, DiCaprio kind of fucking killed that entire role. He just fuck it. Like even that flashback where he's firing the flamethrower. He's like, can we make that a little less hot? He's like, it's a flamethrower, Rick. He's like, all right. All right. <laughs> he yeah. just kind of kills it. <laughs> Yeah, no, that, that, that was great. Um, but no, like just to speak to uh, it, the ending didn't really feel like it sat as well with the theme of the movie for me um, because I had already understood the theme to be like, I almost like feel like this picture would have worked. And I know you're going to tell me that like, well, that's not what the movie was and that's fair, but it almost feels like this picture would have worked as kind of a, laconic ode to like these two particular men who are past their primes seeing the world pass them by like the film had done such a kind of like great job at least establishing that and then to have this be the climax of that story it felt like it was suddenly telling a different story well see i i I will push back a little bit only just because i feel like brad pitt's arc in that is not that he's some washed up stunt man it's about who he is to rick dalton he is he's that dude man you know like he's 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 my max uh, in a way like he's that guy who's always gonna be there like his arc is complete by the fact that like 
this friendship wasn't predicated on what you were paying me or the fact that I was always getting gigs that we actually are very close. I take a bullet for you or does he get uh, stabbed or something happens to Brad Pitt. He's fine at the end. Right. But Mm -hmm. it's like the idea that like, no, I'm there. That's what I'm here for. Like my job is to take care of you. Like you don't even have to come to the hospital, man. Go take care of your wife. You know what I mean? Like that's, I felt like nothing had passed him by because Brad Pitt is the same character he always was. It's always in these little stupid, subtle moments. You know, like I told you, that's why I love the the ranch scene so much because it showed him actually giving a shit about something. Mm -hmm. Um, And I felt like it came kind of full circle there. So I wasn't too upset about that because I felt like Brad Pitt did deliver for me a little bit, you know? I mean, but I feel like Brad Pitt, or they already established that about Brad Pitt pretty conclusively, I guess is what I'm saying. Like they'd already established that these guys were friends outside of a monetary, um, you know, well, so you say that, but if I can, if I can fight back there, there certainly wasn't any like petty jealousness or whatever, but it definitely seemed like, and especially in the beginning of the movie where he tells me like, Oh, he's my stunt double, blah, blah, blah. He's like, bullshit. (laughs) Like he comes in and they stop and they tell the backstory really quickly. Like in the beginning, it seems like he, is fine with it. I think he even says as much, right? He's like, I'm your gopher. And look, I don't mind, but like, uh, I I think that's more kind of like, uh, what it, what it came down to. Um, well, we'll keep, okay. Like, let's like look at everything leading up to the murders. Like it's them having that one last bender or that one last night where they're just getting drunk together and enjoying each other's company and hanging out. Don't you think there was an implication that that was the reason that it was a last hurrah was because it was going to be the last hurrah where I feel like now, and maybe it's because DiCaprio's got Polanski uh, yeah. money now. Like, but it felt and, like they're going to be in each other's lives much longer after this, you know? Yeah, I, and I've, I know I'm nitpicking at this point, but DiCaprio also wasn't in the room to establish that emotional. I'm defending DiCaprio's life. Like, he's on the ground, he's compromised, and I'm, like, taking a, a knife in the leg for him. Right. It was more like these people were in the house, and I'm tripping balls <laughs> on acid, and now this guy's pointing a gun at me. I better do something. Um, right. so, so it wasn't like that direct emotional connection where it's like, oh, I've got to save my friend, right. not my employer. I, I think they pretty well established, at least for me, like before that moment, I was like, oh, these guys are friends. They care about each other. Right. There's even a moment early on where like they hug each other and call each other like, hey, brother. Well, see, that's where it started to turn. Because what I was going to say is in the first act, it felt like not that there was like resentment and that's where the conflict yeah. and drama was going to go. But like. You know, he realizes that he was a gopher. He knows that it's yeah. like, I got to go fix a fucking antenna. Like, like mm-hmm. there seemed to be a little bit of, di- like, uh, discontent there. And then by the end of it, I felt like th- that didn't really exist. In the same way, like I said, we fight. We'll get into arguments. Sure. Like, at no point does that ever turn into anything other than, like, ah, uh, my brother's annoying as fuck sometimes. But, like, mm-hmm. it's my brother, you know? And, like, I felt like that's where we got to. But I feel you, man. I mean, like, it definitely seems like the last 15 minutes was, like, Tarantino had freaked himself out. He's like, I wrote a regular movie here, guys. I mean, right. regular for me. Uh, let's, uh, let's let's have like the, the equivalent of the bar scene of Inglorious Bastards, where like we're gonna have thirty seconds or like five concentrated minutes in this case, right? Yeah, uh, of just ridiculous, wacky, cartoonish violence. Because it is a lot of fun on its own. I want right. to be really clear. Like, if you remove it surgically and like let it be its own short film, like that's a fucking fun short film, right? Directed by Tarantino. Um, but I was like really excited for a second because I thought that I was going to get from beginning, middle to end, like a subtle f- 
film from Tarantino that didn't end in an explosion of violence. Yeah, I mean, it's two hours and 41 minutes, and he gave you, like, two hours and 26 minutes of subtlety. He couldn't help himself, man. I like, know. you, like, he tried And, and his I know best. he just wants to have fun. He's a consummate entertainer. And, like, I, I, I've noticed in especially the back half of his career, like, a lot of this is wish fulfillment. Like, you can argue that this movie is not a revenge film, but on his level, it is. Right. Um, like, this is his revenge against the Manson family for perverting, like, the career of the potential career of this wonderful actress and this wonderful person. But also what LA was like LA also changed after that moment. Exactly. Like America changed, but especially LA and Hollywood changed. Like it's like his revenge on them for that. And in the logic of the movie, there's something really strange too, is the level of violence that Brad Pitt reacts to with the Manson people. Like we know how awful and evil they are, but he doesn't, as far as he knows, they're just home invaders, but he's like bashing her face in on like a fucking brick ledge just again and again and again. For us, we can say, Oh yeah, they deserve it because they were like murdered a pregnant lady and did terrible shit. He does not know that that did not happen in this timeline. Well, he killed his wife. He did kill his so, wife, so I guess, I guess that was the point. Is of that, that what we needed in that moment? Was the crossfade and why he's doing that, and it just goes back and he just shoots ca- the flare? Like, or is it a harpoon gun? I think is it's a harpoon. Holy he's like wearing shit. the goggles, harpoon. It's a way better movie. Uh, all right, well, yeah, that's what we needed, Tarantino. Director's cut. Um, um, but, but no, thematically, like, what, did, what was your takeaway from this movie? What do you think, like, how do you feel about the, sh- the Tate thing overall? Like, do you think that it could work on some level without Tate being a part of it? Because I know you've called yeah, it, like, the yeah. shark in the water. Yeah, yeah. Um, and I understand what you're saying, for sure. It does add foreboding and dread. Um, and it does add, like, a catharsis at the end when that doesn't right. happen. Sure. Um, but do you think that Tarantino could have made this movie thematically work? Of course. It. Yeah. No, I don't. I, I, that's the thing. If you want to take a point away from it, that's fine because I understand that it's not necessary, but it's necessary. Like if you decided to tell the movie, if you decided you're going to reverse engineer that ending, you need to include her. Like that's mm-hmm. just the way it works, but she's so separate. I mean, you, yeah, you didn't need her in that literally at all if you didn't right. want to. And the film mostly works. Uh, I think the emotional beats and the, and the, and the actual character moments between those characters would all be completely intact. Really just feels like he wanted to have his cake and eat it too. Like mm-hmm. thematically he compared it to, to Roma, which I thought was a weird which comparison. He compared it to Roma? In as much that he called it his memory piece of what L.A. was. Oh, okay. Like, Mexico gotcha. City is, is how Cuaron remembers that. You know what I mean? Right. And, and it's the same thing. And I was like, all right, yeah, I can buy that. Like, I didn't, going into it, I'm like, don't do that to yourself, guy. <laughs> <laughs> Certainly not the emotions running through, through uh, that movie that, that had Roma had. But um, I do feel like it was this real love letter to something. And that's like a oft-used descriptor for movies. Oh, it's a love letter to old Hollywood. La La Land. Yeah. Like, oh, I was actually like, proud of ourselves for not using that term up until now. I was like waiting for it to happen. Yeah, no, but but, but that's what I call it. I put a lampshade yeah. on yeah, it. So yeah, yeah, you did, you did. Uh, <laughs> no, but see, like, that's the thing. Like, it, it really kind of is this, like, you can tell how much he loves that place. Like, in a way that, like, as much as we're adoptees to New York and we love it, like, Brooklyn is uh, my creative uh, mecca. Like, I, it's my favorite place in the entire world. I didn't grow up here. I can't say that I have the same emotional attachment to it that Tarantino has to L.A. And I did right. feel the love from the screen. And it came down to visual language, came down to directing, it came down to pretty much everything. I feel like this was, seriously, from a directorial standpoint, like, his most complete film. Like, I saw right. shit from him I've never seen before. 
Yeah, well, where, where does it rank for you now that you've had some time to sit with it? Uh, all right, so we can agree Django's the worst, right? Yeah. And then probably, I mean, is do we, are we counting Death Proof or nah? He doesn't count it's, it. It's, he doesn't? I mean, it's technically a film. Yeah, it's but not, it's, not, it's not in his nine. <laughs> if you ask him the nine films he's made, he'll never say that that one counts. Really? Yeah, man. Otherwise, well, we'd yeah. be at 10 already. Think about it. <laughs> like, Word. He just wants to end on 10. He's not playing fair. Right. Uh, yeah, so, I mean, if Django's the worst and then Death Proof is also not great but has really amazing directing, to, to his credit, in, in Death Proof, the script's not great, but whatever. Um, and then Reservoir... No, wait. Reservoir Dogs is probably the... I don't even really want to get into this. I would say this. I think it's obviously not in his top two, but I could make an argument for like a number three finish for sure. Like, because again, directing, this is the first time I wasn't annoyed with him for stealing other people's stuff and no one would know. Like, And it also has did. an emotional through line where it feels emotionally honest and he's at, it feels like he's actually emotionally engaging. It's not like, Right. A, a, a cocky alien who's seen a lot of films is just trying to like put it all in a blender and throw You're it right. on screen. It almost felt like Tarantino was telling, like telling me a bedtime story. Horrific thought, by the way, just being in yeah. my room and Tarantino, like all I could see is the outline of his receding hairline. <laughs> like, yeah. Horrifying. No, but it, but it did feel like for the first time I was listening to some guy who just wanted to like to tell his story plain, dude. Uh, as opposed to being like, there's samurais, okay, and there's fucking Nazis, and like he's gonna do a dinosaur film next or some shit. Like he's got to keep a going. Dinosaur film? I hope so, man. Like remake fucking Jurassic World with him <laughs> <laughs> playing every role, and he plays blue. <laughs> he does the voiceover <laughs> for the Raptor. Uh, but yeah, so uh, it's not Pulp Fiction, obviously. It's not Kill Bill, which I just consider one film. Uh, mm -hmm. Is it as is it as like snazzy and tight as Inglorious Bastards, which is a weird thing to say considering like you're right forty minute scenes for every scene? Probably not, but it just it was so much better to me. I don't know. Like I definitely yeah. I, I would say it's probably three. Yeah. Inglorious Bastards was the start of my annoyance with him as a director, as much as I enjoy that movie. Right. It's just so fucking self indulgent in parts. Um but that that's that's sort of his thing self-indulgence and this yeah, didn't anything, bother me as much yeah i was gonna say if anything he really wasn't self-indulgent until he was really self-indulgent and kind yeah. of like because don't tell me that the scenes that are long is tarantino being indulgent like i don't think that that's true i think like i'm not saying you did but i've heard that from a lot of people and i'm like i think you nailed it earlier which is like yo he's giving you a couple extra minutes to live in this world <laughs> like this yeah. is this other world you're in and you need to understand where you're at you know what i mean right so. Yeah. So, so like uh, overall closing thoughts I had, you know, I'm going to give a real middle of the road response here. I right. had some issues with it, um, but there were a lot of things I genuinely loved about it that I like more as I go along. My initial viewing of it, though, was more frustrating than anything. And yeah. that's kind of like my emotional takeaway still. Like it makes more emotional sense in my head the more I piece it together. But right. like while I was watching it, I was kind of frustrated because it was just sort of like, these are static characters. They're not changing so far. Where is this going? His alcoholism isn't like he doesn't give up drinking yeah. to get better in the scene. He just gets better in the scene. Like there's nothing leading to this. And then like it just, I stopped worrying about it the more I thought about it, mm -hmm. if that makes sense. But I walked out of that theater about as cold as I have out of a new movie in a while. 
Right. I think I told you, I mean, I told you I walked out of it being like I had six out of seven, seven out of 10, maybe like I, I, yeah. I knew I liked it, but I didn't love it. I didn't walk out of it. Like say what you want about Inglorious Bastards. I remember walking out of that. That's a fucking crowd pleaser, man. Like yeah. you, you're kind of on high when you walk out of that theater. This is the opposite. And yet I slept and I, I swear to God, I had like just dreams about it, you know, like mm-hmm. seeing that, seeing those vistas, seeing the things he's woke up. And I was like, I, yeah, it needs to sit in your head for a little bit. It really yeah. does. It's a movie that will get much better the more you think about it. Yeah. It's, it's very overstuffed, but it's sort of like a, a great long album with a few too many songs. Like it's right. still, you're still getting a lot all at once from an artist you really enjoy. Right. The um, White Album's great, but it had piggies on it. They can't all be winners. You know what I mean? Like, piggies is a masterpiece. It's the best song in that album. Don't pass me by. Like, I just, there, there's a couple bad songs on the White Album, people. That's all I'm saying. But, uh, but yeah, no, I think it's interesting. And, I, and I'm glad ultimately you're kind of good on it. And it's something that I think demands to be watched again. I really do. It's going to yeah, be interesting um, whether that holds up when you know what the the third act is you know yeah see it in 35 millimeter i saw it at the uh alamo draft house like if you can um and it, it, it's it's worth it i don't know if you got to see it in 35 mil um but i forgot what 35 millimeter looked like for a minute because it's been so long since i've seen something in the 35 last millimeter. tarantino it, movie although that was 70 millimeter not even 35 you're right yeah, that was yeah. 70 um just seeing like the flicker of the screen and the imperfections and the you know, the dots and the, some frames aren't as like color corrected as others and everything. And like right. that, those imperfections give it a texture. I'm not saying film or digital is better. It's just like something that I kind of missed that I didn't realize I missed. And I think yeah. that that's definitely how he intends for people to see it. So see it in 35 mil, definitely see it, definitely recommend it. I can't give it a, a rating out of 10 right now. I wouldn't ask, ask me, you like, to yeah. a while from now, but yeah, yeah give it some time. I, I but I'm actually glad that we, that we had some disagreements on it uh, because again, yeah. far from perfect. I'm not saying it's perfect Tom, but like for all the things I've complained about this guy for forever, it was the first time where I'm like, it gave me real hope. Like it's, it's upsetting. He's like, I'm done after the next one. It's like, what you finally like figured out how to be a person <laughs> like, like <laughs> 30 years of being an alien looking yeah. Machiavellian on like, at all the fucking people. You just right. figured it out. Now you're trying to get out. Like, I mean, me out it, a little bit. it might be a Stephen King situation where he says he's going to retire and he just writes another 50 books, but, right. um, <laughs> I'm retiring six months later, Jay-Z released another album. You're like, that was a right. short retirement, man. Like, it, it would be uh, pretty wonderful um, if he went out on a high note, though. Like, and I understand because he is worried about his legacy. Like, obviously, he keeps listing the fucking number of each of his films. Hateful Eight was as bad as it got. Holy shit. Hateful in Eight the title. Film by Quentin Tarantino. <laughs> yeah, he's a piece of shit. Anyway. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So, good, man. That was a review for uh, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. Max, thank you. Uh, we'll, we'll make sure to do more of these. We really need to get into the to the habit of making these happen but i wanted to strike while the iron was hot and i think it's already cooling down so we got to get mm. this out as soon as we can yeah. um so yeah i guess other than that go check out uh where's my burrito on a little fire burning check out all the cool stuff on a little fire burning we work very hard on those and mm-hmm. uh i think that's it you got anything max no adi- adios and uh watch this movie or don't i don't really care mm. glowing endorsement you bronco buster all right <laughs> bye